Yo, what's good, my fellow ballers? Welcome back to another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. Thank you for tuning in. Extremely exciting news as we are only two days away from the NFL draft. God, so close. Even though we are still months away from starting the NFL season, we get a little taste of what's to come in 2021. The unanimous number one pick is Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. Lawrence and many other quarterbacks have been the main focus of this year's draft class. There is no doubt in my mind that four to five quarterbacks can go in the top 15, let alone the first round. Aside from the NFL and the upcoming excitement of the draft, the MVP race in basketball is heating up and the Padres and Dodgers rivalry just keeps getting better. Like always, we start off this episode with another edition of Teaching Tuesdays. So this time I wanted to do something a little more unorthodox. Rather than look at like an all-time record or like an all-time player and like a stat that's held by like five different people or just the all-time leaders, I wanted to look at the current MLB leaders for all categories hitting and pitching. So as of right now, current right now. Also, the leaders are both the leagues combined, not separate. So it's going to be the American League and National League combined. One more note, the leaders may be altered a little bit because there are games being played right now as I'm recording, so the list is active as of right now, but could be a little bit different when when the show is over. So for starters, we have the league leader in batting average. Yerman Mercedes of the Chicago White Sox ranks first in the MLB with an average of 414. Bro, killing it. He also has four home runs, 15 RBIs, six walks, and an OBP of 461, a slugging of 657, and an OPS of 1.118. Through 19 games, the man has just been unstoppable. Oh, and check out this little tidbit. He also has the longest home run of the year at 485 feet. That is what you would call a moonshot going to Jupiter. Next on the list, we have the league leader in home runs, the best category, honestly. It is a seven-way tie between Boston's J.D. Martinez, Cincinnati's Nick Cassianos, Colorado's Ryan McMahon, Minnesota's Nelson Cruz, San Diego's Fernando Tatis Jr., L.A. Shohei Otani, and not to be mistaken with L.A. Dodgers, this is the Los Angeles Angels, and Atlanta's Ronald Acuna Jr. They all are tied for seven. So aside from the home runs, just wanted to give a little, little quick stat line for all of them. J.D. Martinez is currently averaging 359, has 21 RBIs and 28 hits. Castellanos is averaging 293, has 14 RBIs and 22 hits. McMahon is averaging 273, has 13 RBIs and 21 hits. Ronald Acuna Jr. is averaging 394, has 16 RBIs and 26 hits. Cruz is averaging 323, 15 RBIs and 20 hits. Otani is averaging 286, 16 RBIs, and 22 hits. Tatis Jr. is averaging 249, has 9 RBIs, and 14 hits. Martinez has been a huge part of the Red Sox' early success this year, and I really mean that because the dude is just hitting lights out every single game. Just watch the some watch the Red Sox game and you'll see. It is rad to still see him in a Sox uniform because they've pretty much have gotten rid of their whole outfield and it's sad. Castellanos and the Reds have taken the league by storm so far and honestly have surprised a lot of people. Hell, they even surprised me. I didn't think they were going to have this kind of start at all. Really, I don't. 
even though they are last in the NL Central at 9-11, they are only three games out from being first in the division that has played extremely poor this season. That honestly is the NL Central. That's that's the Cardinals and the Brewers division. The Reds are not going to take it. McMahon, I honestly feel bad for. The Rockies are dead last in the NLS and have the worst record in the National League. No wonder Nolan Arenado wanted to leave. Like, he was out of that, wasting my time. Absolute trash pile of a team. Even though he is on a hot streak, you can't you can't discredit how good he's been. He, he's been killing it. You already know about the next man, Acuna Jr. Dude is such a beast. Nobody can pitch around him. No one's figured him out. Having a huge start to the year, and I'm saying it now. Write it down. He is on his way to win NL MVP. No joke, he has been that good. Next, Nelson Cruz of the Twins. I don't even know how this guy is even able to stand, let alone play baseball. The man is 40 years old. 40. You don't play in your 40s in baseball. That's something you do like in soccer or something. And he hits dingers like nothing. Like, dude, how are you doing this? They're off to a very slow start, the Twins, but I project they will make a big comeback in the season. Not sure if it's right now or later, but I sense it coming because they're too good to be doing this bad. Angels, Otani is a dual threat player. Seriously amazing to just witness him and just were able to watch him. Can throw easily 100 miles per hour and has the natural ability to hit. Hit like better than starting players, like than starting position players. Like, Insane to say the least. Just for reference, here are his stats as a pitcher, and I've already told you what he's hitting. Even though he's only pitched eight and a half innings in two games, he has his 1.04 ERA, 1.62 whip, 14 Ks, 11 walks, and three hits. So partner that with him crushing the ball. It's absolutely insane. Then Tatis Jr., he had a terribly slow start to the season, and you could say that was a slump because the kid is now killing it. The Padres are third in the NL West with the 13-11 record. He had five home runs in a four-game series against LA. Five homers in four days. Yeah, bud, that is crazy. Now, the league leader in RBIs, or as everyone else calls them, ribbies, we have our boy J.D. Martinez cracking the list at number one with 21 total RBIs. I'm telling you, I am shocked that the Red Sox are in first. I know in baseball... I talked to my dad about this. In baseball, there's a lot of fluctuation in teams being hot and cold throughout the season, and that's the best part about baseball. Really good teams will go on these huge benders of being good and then these really bad slumps of playing bad. So maybe they're just riding a high right now. Obviously, I don't think they're going to, they're not going to go any further than what they're doing now. But you know what? It's cool to see a team besides any other team in that division doing good. So. They could drop off in a big way, but they have done the complete opposite in a very talented American League East that is struggling at the moment, the Blue Jays and the Yankees in particular. Next on the list, league leader in hits, you guessed it, J.D. Martinez again is a league leader, and this time in hits with 30. Also, his teammate Xander Bogarts is tied with him for hits, and another teammate of his, Rafael Devers, is only three RBIs behind him. The Red Sox have 14 wins right now. They are only one win away from tying the Dodgers for having the most wins in the MLB. The Dodgers are 15-7, and seven, so put that into perspective. The Sox are also one win away from having the most wins in the American League. They're on a tear shocking everyone. <laughs> they really are. 
Our last category for hitting and position players, we have our leader in stolen bases. Ramon Laureano of the Oakland Athletics and Whit Merrifield of the Kansas City Royals are tied at eight apiece. Merrifield is currently averaging 284, has three home runs, 14 RBIs, 23 hits, and 14 runs. Laureano is averaging 225, two home runs, seven RBIs, 16 hits, and 12 runs. Oakland was on a 13-game win streak and just lost it on Sunday to the Orioles, who blew them out 8-1, bro. Before that, though, the A's were playing at a very insane level and currently lead the American League West with a 14-8 record. Kansas City is in first in the American League Central with a record of 13-17, and and a lot of that has been due to the play of Merrifield and Salvador Perez. I had the Royals finishing near the bottom of the division. Shocked to see them here, to say the least. Now we get to look at all the pitching stats. Ew! League leader in wins in the MLB is tied with Steven Matz of the Toronto Blue Jays and Jack Flaherty of the St. Louis Cardinals, tied with four wins apiece. Matz has a 2.31 ERA, 25 strikeouts, and a 0.943 whip. He has been the best pitcher on the Blue Jays roster by far and has provided a huge boost to their starting rotation. Flaherty is 4-0, has posted a 3.18 ERA, 27 strikeouts, 8 walks, and a 0.95 whip. Cardinals are currently second in the NL Central and are looking to push into that first place spot that is currently held by the Milwaukee Brewers. League leader in ERA is New York Mets' Jacob deGrom. This dude is going to win the NL signing award this year. I'm calling it now. He has had one of the best starts from a starting pitcher I've ever seen, and he's only pitched in four games so far. Through four games and 29 innings, he has a league-leading 0.331 ERA. 0.31, not even one. It's under 0.50. 50 strikeouts and a 0.552 whip. What in the absolute hell is going on out there on the mound? He literally is impossible to hit off of. Four days ago, he threw an absolute masterpiece. Masterpiece. The man has been killing it for years, and he arguably is the best pitcher in the National League. That game, it was April 23rd against the Nationals. Nine innings pitched, two hits, no runs, no earned runs, no walks, and 15 strikeouts. Dude, he's coming. He's getting after it. Next is the league leader and saves one of the dopest stats in baseball in my opinion because when you when you're coming in to save a game it's one inning it's make it or break it dude like you have to be a badass out there on the mound so I love closing pitchers Mark Melanson of the San Diego Padres has eight saves to lead the MLB Melanson has pitched in 10 games collecting eight saves 11 strikeouts one walk three hits and owning a 0.36 whip and a 0.82 ERA lastly we have the league leader in strikeouts Cleveland Shane Bieber leads the MLB with 57 strikeouts. Now, I was saying that DeGrom is tearing it up. Bieber is killing it this year. The former American League Cy Young Award winner is having a hot start to 2021. Two wins and two losses on the year, 2.48 ERA, a total of 36 innings pitched, 57 strikeouts, and a 0.939 whip. He's my early candidate for the American League Cy Young Award, but the Yankees also have mm, a pretty dope-ass pitcher who's also really good. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He goes by the name of Garrett Cole. Absolute stud. Cole is tied with DeGrom in second in the league with 50 strikeouts, has a 1.71 ERA, a 3-1 record, and a 0.726 whip. 
on Saturday, Cole and Bieber had an insane pitching duel. New York would end up winning the game 2-1. to one. Look at these two performances. Cole pitched seven innings, allowed three hits, one run, one earned run, 11 Ks in zero walks. Bieber pitched seven innings as well, allowed four hits, two earned runs, nine Ks, three walks. Even though Bieber had three walks, two runs against the Yankees is still impressive considering how talented you are. Like, dude, these pitchers amaze me, bro. And that is why baseball is so rad because there's so many different guys that can make an impact. So I just could talk about baseball all the time. But those are the MLB leaders in all the major categories. And yes, the list will always fluctuate. But as of right now, I'm not really surprised by any of the leaders currently. Merrifield is probably the only big shark on the list considering he is a late bloomer and I don't think anyone expected him to be this good at 32, but man, he's he's killing it, dude, so I'm stoked. Taking a little sidestep here, since I've been doing a lot of baseball lately on the podcast, I wanted to jump back into basketball and check in on the MVP race. And first, who has stayed in first almost the whole season is Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. Easily the most skilled center in the league right now. He is averaging 26.4 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, 8.7 assists per game, and 1.4 steals per game. To see a big man doing what he is doing is insane. Insane. A dude that is basically a seven-footer and can pass the ball better than most starting point guards is beyond me, let alone averaging Almost nine assists per game. That is wild, bro. Even with the departure of Jamal Murray to an ACL injury, the Nuggets are 4-0 without him and are currently the fourth seed in the Western Conference with a 39-21 record. In second, we have Joel Embiid. This man is another level of skilled. He also has been fluctuating between the top three in the MVP race all season. He's currently averaging 30.1 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, 1.4 blocks per game. The man has been on a tear, and he plays the game with passion and aggression. An extremely physical center who gets after it on the boards and defends like a monster. It pretty much is a neck-and-neck race between two centers at this point, which is honestly the craziest thing to believe. Two centers are currently the front runners for NBA MVP. What the hell? Super sick, though, because they never get any, you know, airtime or any of the glory. It's always some, you know, small forward or point guard or something like that. The Sixers are 39-21 and and rank second in the Eastern Conference. Third on the list, Giannis Antetokounmpo is averaging 28.5 points per game, 11.3 rebounds per game, 6 assists per game. The man has won the last two MVPs in the NBA, and he is possibly on his way to win a third making it a three-peat of MVPs. If that happens, I do not know how I will be able to contain my excitement. (laughs) He is one of my favorite players, and he plays for a badass Milwaukee team. They are third in the Eastern Conference with a record of 37-22 and and are shooting for that first seed as they are only three games out of that spot. Fourth in the ranking, Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks has taken the Mavs from the ground up and brought them back to playoff contention. Earlier this season, they were in the ninth, eighth seeding position, and they are now the sixth seed in the Western Conference with the 33 and 26 record, trailing only the Lakers by two games, who are the fifth seed. To put that into perspective, everyone has the Lakers going extremely far this season, as far as the NBA Finals. 
So to see the Mavericks right behind them is awesome. Doncic is currently averaging 28.7 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, and 8.7 assists per game. Easily one of the most skilled and talented small forwards in the league. He will be a top player in the league his whole career. No debate. I hope the Mavericks keep their pace and stay in the playoff contention. They are a fun and extremely talented team, and they're like on the come up in the Western Conference. Last in the rankings, who was previously ninth in the MVP ranking, has jumped all the way to the fifth spot, none other than the baby-faced assassin Steph Curry. Dude shoots out of the gym every single game. It blows my mind. He never slows down, but is always on the gas when it comes to shooting with him. Curry is averaging 31.3 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game, 5.9 assists per game. The man seems virtually unstoppable some games, and the Warriors are lucky to have him still playing at a high level. They are the 10th seed in the West and are only a game and a half out from taking the 9th and 8th seed. They are like right there in the playoff race. I feel sorry for whoever has to play them if they do make it to the playoffs, which at this point is highly likely. I would love to see the Warriors get back in the playoffs, even though I hated them for a long time because I'm a huge LeBron fan, so I didn't. The Warriors kept beating LeBron in Cleveland, so it was always frustrating to see them play each other in the playoffs, and LeBron would always lose, and you know Steph Curry and Kevin Durant being just complete bungholes and taking LeBron's legacy away from him. So, yeah, that's how I feel about Steph Curry, but it's rad to see him here. I don't have a problem with him anymore, but it would be cool to see the Warriors, you know, get back in there because it has been, you know, a little bit since they've been in the playoffs and the finals. So, the the playoff race is heating up, and so is the MVP race, and it's only going to get crazier because at the end of the season, some of these guys tune it up even more. So be on the lookout for those five guys I did mention, but the list is always changing. Like LeBron's out for injury. He may be coming back. He's going to be coming back soon, and he may just come out of nowhere and just throw a tomahawk on someone's head. We don't know. <laughs> anyway, now we're turning back to baseball. We got to talk about this LA-San Diego series this past weekend. I am telling you, I'm telling you, if COVID, thank you, COVID, if COVID didn't have seat or any health restrictions or anything to do with ticketing or letting people go to the games, every single game of that series this weekend would have been uh, sold out. Sold out. Sold out, people. It was insane to watch. April 22nd, the Padres went 3-2. to two. Ryan Weathers pitched 5.5, allowing one hit, zero earned, one walk, and six strikeouts. Walker Buehler pitched seven innings, allowed four hits, two earned runs, zero walks, nine strikeouts. Grisham pimped a fastball off of Buehler, and it was so beautiful to see. Emilio Pagan would come in later in the game and give up two solo home runs to A.J. Pollock and Sheldon Noisy. Mark Melanson would come in on relief and save the game, giving us the first win in the series. April 23rd, the Padres would win 6-1. Yu Darvis pitched seven innings, allowing four hits. One earned, three walks, and nine strikeouts. Pitched extremely well. He was dealing all night. It was such a rad performance from him. Kershaw also pitched seven innings, allowed five hits, three earned runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Fernando Tatis Jr., man, I, I, I can only talk. Like, I just want to talk about him all the time. He's so rad. But he blew up this game, going three for five with three RBIs and two home runs, both coming off Kershaw. Myers also hit a bomb off Kershaw, which was oh so spectacular. <laughs> Seeing Tati swing, it's such a beautiful thing watching him just destroy any ball that's that's put over the plate. Like, 
dude, like just watching him makes me giggle. It's so funny. On his second homer off Kershaw, the exit velocity was 116 off the bat. That is smoking. That is a rocket, dude. Cool little history stat. On that day, 22 years ago, his dad hit two back-to-back grand slams in Dodger Stadium against the Dodgers. Nando didn't hit two grand slams, but he did rock two home runs that game, which is just hilarious. Two big games early in the series that we needed to win, and we're off to a super good start. April 24th, the Dodgers would win 5-4. to four. We should have won this game, but another shoulda, coulda, woulda. Trevor Bauer pitched six innings, allowed five hits, two earned, zero walks, and nine strikeouts. Solid game from him. Blake Snell would go five and a half, allowing seven hits, two earned, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Solid outing from him. Just need the walks and the pitch count to go down so we can have him more throughout the game. I think he's on a pitch count right now. I'm just, like, I've, I've, I've complained about it the past two episodes. I'm just tired of babying these guys. Get them out there. Darvis is pitching seven. Weathers is pitching five and a half, but that's expected of him. Snell, former Cy Young Award winner, no, we don't want him going five and a half. We want him going at least six or seven. Come on, dude. So, anyway, regardless of that, Tatis would repeat his excellence from the night before, launching two more homers this game off of Bauer. He was seen showboating on one of them, mocking Bauer's action of pitching with one eye closed. He was covering one eye when he ran around the base path. The series, dude, so much drama, and it's just, it's spiced up for real. Our bullpen, though, would be the demise of this game, as Pierce Johnson did not even pitch a full inning, a full inning, and gave up three earned, three hits, one walk, and zero strikeouts. That is doo-doo. You did absolutely nothing. After the game was over, Bauer heard about the Tati showboat and thought nothing of it. He had this to say on the subject. I like it. I think that pitchers that have that done to them and react by throwing at people, I think it's pretty soft. If you give up a homer, a guy should celebrate it. It is hard to hit in the big leagues. He would then go on to say, so I'm all for it. And I think that it's important that the game moves in that direction and that we stop throwing at people because they celebrate having some success on the field. Quality guy. And that game was awesome. Thank you, Bauer, for being so chill. Now, the series finale, Sunday night. Dude, the best game of the series, no doubt. And it's not even up for debate. Padres won 8-7 in extra innings. Musgrove would only go three innings, allowed three hits, two earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. He had bases loaded in back-to-back innings and was able to squeeze out of both jams with just two runs. Hallelujah. Dustin May had a career night against the Padres. Mr. Carrot Top. We're just going to call him uh, Mr. I'm going to call him 91 because all he throws is gas. Six innings pitched, two hits, one earned run, one walk, and 10 strikeouts. Pretty much unstoppable the whole game. You talk about gas. The dude averages a 98.6 miles per hour heater, only second behind Mets, Jacob DeGrom. Now, this is where the game gets interesting. Stamen would come in as our long middle reliever to give Musgrove the boot. He went two innings, giving up no runs, two walks, three hits, and no hits. In those two innings, he would have to deal with one bases loaded situation, but he was able to escape the jam. Where the hope was lost, and where it just seemed the game was pretty much over, is when we brought in reliever Nick Ramirez, who looked absolutely lost on the mound. Homeboy pitched one inning, gave up five hits, 
five earned runs, one walk, and no strikeouts. Four of those five earned runs would come from a Chris Taylor three-run home run and a solo home run from Sheldon Noisy. At this point in the game, our only recorded run was from a Tati solo home run off Dustin May. The offense was stagnant, and we were going to the seventh inning down by six. Here is where we turned it up, baby. Top of the seventh, David Price would come in for relief to pitch in the seventh. Eric Hosmer, Jake Cronenworth, Jerks and Profar, all on. Bases loaded. Carantini's up the bat. He would single home two runs, cutting the deficit to just four runs now. Dodgers still lead 7-3. Will Myers would hit into a double play to end the inning. Top of the eighth, we're back at it again. Dodgers reliever Victor Gonzalez would come in to relief David Price. Tatis and Machado on. Hosmer would single home Tatis to make it a 7-4 game. If I remember correctly, Cronenworth would be walked, making the bases loaded, and brought up Jorge Mateo to the plate. He would ground into a fielder's choice, still scoring one though, making it a 7-5 lead. Inning over, down by two, just keep picking away at it. Top of the ninth, Jimmy Nelson is tasked with shutting down the Padres to take the game. Tatis up the bat, one out, Carantini on first. He would hit a soft blooper to left field, now putting two runners on. Grisham up next. He would single the left field, scoring Carantini, making it a 7-6 game. Thanks to Tatis' speed, he made it all the way to third on Grisham's hit, which is so just important. That's why he's just so underrated too, because his speed is insane. Machado would come in big time, singling home Tatis to tie the game at seven. Top of the 11th, taking the lead right, right here. Like this is it right here. Grisham on second and Tatis on third with one out. Hosmer would hit a sack fly to deep center field, scoring Tatis to take the lead. Mark Melanson would come on in the bottom of the 11th, getting his eighth save of the year and securing the Padres' 7-1 comeback. This game was chock full of badass moments and plays from both teams. One thing I didn't mention earlier is that the Dodgers had a chance to win, win it in the top of the 10th. And I mean, literally could have won the game if they got a walk. The bases were loaded, and it was Tim Hill's responsibility to get three outs. He would strike out DJ Peters on a high fastball to end the inning. Next inning, we would take the lead, and Melanson would be brought in to save the game. The rest is history. Like, dude, so many opportunities for the Dodgers. Like the Padres earlier with their offense earlier in the season, struggling leaving guys on. I think in this game, the Dodgers left 16 or 17 runners on base. That is bad. Because like now, you think of earlier Musgrove. Two back-to-back innings of having bases loaded, couldn't single any, couldn't get anybody home. And then an inning with Stammen, bases loaded, could not make it happen. In the 11th, extra innings, couldn't make it happen. Excuse me, the 10th inning. You need to make it happen. A single, a walk, anything. Get hit by a pitch, anything. And the Dodgers couldn't do it. Padres overall take that series 3-1. to one. I am just so ecstatic because I'm tired of all the Dodger fans thinking they're the best team. No, shut up, okay? Padres are here to stay forever, baby. Let's go. Before we end the show, I wanted to throw out some team stats just between the Dodgers and Padres to see where they stack up and to just give you a comparison of why they're the best two teams in the MLB. The Dodgers tie for six in the MLB with the team batting average of 245, third in RBIs with 103, tied for fifth in home runs with 27, fifth in hits with 183, first in OBP with a .346, sixth in slugging with a .421, third in OPS with a .767, fourth in runs scored with 109, tied for fourth in doubles with 39, second in triples with six, 
Tied for 10th in stolen bases with 8. First in wins with 15. That's not wins from pitcher, but wins as a team. Third in ERA with the 2.97. Third in team saves with 9. Third in strikeouts with 225. And first in whip with the 1.07. Just killing it in every major category, bro. It's insane. The Padres, on the other hand, are hanging in there. They're kind of deep in some other ones, but high in others. 12th in batting average with a .233. Tied for 8th in home runs with 24. 13th in RBIs with 88. Second in hits with 187. 7th in OBP with a .323. 21st in slugging with a .361. 17th in OPS with a .684. 10th in runs scored with 93. Tied for 12th in doubles with 27. Tied for 6th in triples with 2. First in stolen bases with 31. Tied for 5th in wins with 13. First in team ERA with the 2.75. Second in team saves with 10. But we have an individual leader, so solo player leader, he leads Mark Belanson. First in team strikeouts with 275. And tied for 2nd in whip with the 1.09. Both of these teams are powerhouses, and the Dodgers, no doubt, have the best offense right now, and the Padres have the best pitching. It's it's not even close. Like, yeah, the Padres, the Padres' offense has, has really been slow, but they've picked it up recently. And then they said during this series that the Dodgers were in a hitting slump, but how about, no, you're not in a hitting slump, because you're literally in almost every category for hitting, you're in top 10, top 5 category. So enough of that crap. Like, we're we're done with that. Don't. It's so annoying. This happened last week. Dodger fans saying, or just anybody on Instagram saying, oh, we're losing these games because we're in a slump. How about just the Padres are pitching really well? How about just we're playing better than you? It's always an excuse. Dodger fans, you just suck. You're so toxic, bro. You're just over it, bro. Get out of here. I just, it's so annoying. I wish they would just leave. Just leave the NL West and go play in the AL West. I, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Just so over it. Anyway, enough of my complaining. That is all the time we got for today. Thank you for listening in on another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. Friday's episode, oh baby, it's going to be a good one. We will have a full NFL first round breakdown after draft day. Draft day, everyone, is Thursday. I think it's five East, It's 8 Eastern time on ESPN. Do not miss it. I will see you all on Friday. Later.